Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders Podcast, where we chat all things leadership and personal development related, absolutely authentically and unscripted. On this podcast, my guests and I are going to introduce you to ideas and concepts that show how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage and motivate you on your journey to becoming a legendary leader yourself with more impact, influence and inspiration. So, are you ready for it? Welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I am the host of this show. Welcome everybody. I hope you've had a fantastic week. I hope you could put some of the insights from the last shows into practice. And as always, I would really love to hear from you and just understand what you have applied, how it helped, what perhaps didn't work for you and needs a bit of fine tuning we can potentially help you with. So get in touch, please. And as always, go on iTunes and give us a rating of how you like the show. And obviously recommend the podcast to other people. Leadership is such a big topic. And especially in times like these where we are surrounded by uncertainty, it's important to have an anchor and say, okay, what is it I actually can take charge of? What is it I can do? But also, what's my actual story, right? What do I want from life? What do I want from my leadership role? Who am I at the moment? Who have I decided to be in the past? And am I really in touch with myself? I think story building and really understanding what you stand for and who you are is absolutely vital for any other development that you aspire to do and to take. And today's guest is Geoffrey Klein, and he is the story guru, basically. Together, we are talking about the science of story today the inside story, so having really consistent brand story internally. And the art of visual storytelling is something we're going to touch up on as well. So that is part one of the show. Part two of the show is leadership and Joffrey as a leader in general. When I met Joffrey, I was just amazed by his enthusiasm, his energy, but most of all, his path, my goodness, his journey has been quite something. He's for me a huge chameleon, basically, and, and a change maker and change adopter. Uh, he has lived in different countries. He has done so many different jobs and roles, and he just went for it. And one of my biggest questions for him was, how did you do that, right? How did you know that a certain role would work for you? And, and he's just such an easygoing bloke who said, well, you don't always know. You follow your gut. You usually know people and, you know, you give it a fair shot. And I found that really, really interesting because I also meet a lot of people who really need a lot of certainty and who are focused on, okay, what's the next step? And let me plan before I take at least one step forward. And that's simply not always possible. Sometimes you have to take calculated risks and just give a new opportunity, a fair shot. And he has clearly done that. So it was important for me to share that with you as well. So Geoffrey's career over the last 25 years has been about helping connect the right message to the right audience for the greatest impact. So that's one thing that has always been in the center of everything he has done. And his experience spans from being legally trained to working for Seth Godin, to working on major motion pictures at Paramount Pictures and MGM Studios, for example. He has presented TEDx talks, 
He has guest lectured as, at the Manchester Metropolitan University, at Trexel University, and so on and so forth, so many more, until he has then also founded his own content marketing agency. And he's now helping other people, individuals, but as well as organizations to really connect with their own story, with their own narrative and build a great personal and organizational brand. He's the best person to tell you about that. So we're going to welcome him in a moment. If you want to learn more about how to build your own personal brand as a leader, how to find your inner voice, so really understand what you stand for and communicate that, and to become this really great inspirational storyteller, then do join the Better Leader Academy. It's live now. Uh, you can find it on kathleenmerkel.com slash membership. And it's a fantastic program that runs for a year. Now, a year sounds very long. I understand that. But it's basically 12 modules, one being launched every month, and you can join any time in between. All of the modules complement each other, but they don't build up on another. So if you missed one, you cannot join the next one. That's definitely not the case. And the aim of the entire program is to really help you learn insights about different parts of leadership, apply them very, very quickly. So it's, again, always about applying quick steps every day consistently so that you grow literally every day. Therefore, we made the modules very, very manageable. They are in bite-side chunks. The videos are not longer than 15 minutes each. And you can really define for yourself how to fit it into your schedule as to whether you do it on your commute to work, from work. When you go for a run, it's completely up to you. One of the biggest pros is that you get four bonus modules each quarter. So you have 16 in total, 16 modules of learning, of inspiration, of growth for yourself. And we're going to connect, if you wish to, obviously, on a monthly basis with a group coaching call where I can help you accelerate your growth, answer a few questions, help you answer those for yourselves, obviously, as well, and build a great community of support from different organizations' backgrounds and building your network at the same time. So this is quite something. And storytelling as a leader is definitely a part of it. Your personal brand is definitely a part of it. So why not join in or get in touch with me if you want to learn a little bit more about it. But for now, let's welcome Joffrey. Have a great time. Enjoy this show. And I speak to you in a moment. So hello and welcome, Joffrey. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Great to be here. I've been so excited to finally talk to you, having watched a few of your talks, checked out your website and hearing from you, obviously, about your past. I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to share your story with the audience. I'm excited to be here as well. And, and I like to tell stories, so that works out well. Let's start with you, because this show is called Legendary Leaders. And you are clearly a legendary leader, as, at least from my perspective. Well, that's very kind of you to say. And I hope try. the audience, you try, yeah. I hope the audience will uh, notice in a second why that is. I started calling you the reinventor of his own life because you have done so much. You have traveled the world. You have are reinvented, as I just said, yourself and your professions constantly. And you are the best person to tell this story. So do share with us what basically got to where to where you are now i like to say i like to connect the dots so i'll share the dots and how they were connected i'm born and raised in philadelphia which is a very historic town by american standards uh, not so much by other places in the world <laughs> i 
went to college, a little tiny liberal arts college, Amherst College in Massachusetts, where I was a sociology and English major. And I was really interested in kind of creative writing and film. I grew up loving movies. Uh, the joke that my parents used to tell is that I would go and see a movie and I would come home and they would say, so what was the movie about? And it would take me longer to tell them about the movie than it would be for them to go and see the movie. So I was a little chatty when it came to telling the stories that I, that I loved. After college, you know, I didn't know anyone in the film industry. I, I was kind of interested in that and I had applied for some jobs, got rejection letters, and for the moment kind of wasn't sure what I was gonna do. So I moved mm -hmm. to New York City. My best friend was living there, another friend of mine from college. I ended up getting a job for a true marketing genius named Seth Godin, mm -hmm. who's written tons of books and was amazing. Now, I only was with him about a year. I kind of got pulled into the family business. So my father and grandfather were judges for a combined 80 plus years. Uh, and I ended up working for a big law firm and then coming to law school in Philadelphia at Temple, where my grandfather had gone and my father had taught. But I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. I was pretty clear about that. I just didn't know how to get from where I was to where I wanted to. And I think the way that I was able to do that was to keep pushing, to keep trying. And, and eventually it was, I think, the intentionality of what I wanted to do. I finally said, you know what, I'm going to work in the film industry. And I started to tell people that and talk about that in my language. And every now and again, people would say, oh, I know someone there. And I would say, who? So it was about that listening and the follow through. So I got a bunch of names in my Second year in law school, during spring break, I went to California. I went to LA and I had set up all these meetings. Uh, and I got offered a job to go work at a talent agency called United Talent Agency that summer in the story department. I was in the mailroom and, and then I hurt my leg and I ended up in the story department. And my job was to read a bunch of screenplays all day, every day, which sounds fun, but they weren't all very good. So that was... <laughs> Uh, sometimes, you know, I love stories, but I don't always love bad stories. No, uh, who so does? Was, but I got to read some amazing screenplays as well, mostly for things that were already being produced. And I ended up finishing my law school credits in LA. And then I was really fortunate. Once you're in kind of the system, it gets easier. And I ended up working for the president of production at Paramount Pictures. And so as you talk about legendary leaders, I was not a leader. I was a little cog in the big machine, but my boss was pretty much running the production at Paramount. And I got to work on all these movies supporting her. And it was awesome. I, you know, it was a dream fulfilled. I got to work. Mm. I then took this trip around the world with my best friend, Edward. We had talked about doing it for a while and there was a break and we just decided to do it. Uh, and when I came back, I ended up getting an, kind of an equivalent job working for the present production at MGM Studios and again, got to work on Legally Blonde and one of the Bond movies. And it was, again, awesome. And then I, I, I joked that the real dream happened, which is uh, I'm a romantic and I fell in love with a girl. And uh, we got married in Philadelphia mm -hmm. and we're both very close with our families and we had no family in LA. And so we eventually were like, we can't, you know, we don't wanna do this without family. So we moved to Manchester, England, which is where Nita, my wife is from. I uh, ended up being there for 10 years. And I looked in the film potential in Manchester, which there was some, but it was having come from kind of Hollywood, everything else seemed kind of small. And I had an opportunity to learn and work with my father-in-law and I eventually started a real estate company, which I had no experience with. But what I did know, and I taught this before, that making a movie and refurbishing a property are fairly similar. 
which is you have a budget and a schedule and you keep to neither. <laughs> and going over on, on projects in Hollywood is, is I, I worked on, I don't know, 10, 20 movies. Not one of them came in on time or on budget. It's just not the nature of what happens when you make a movie. And we did a, you know, in the 10 years in England where I was working on different refurbishments, we had one that came in on budget on time. One. Yeah. The, the plan was that I was going to work in real estate and then I was going to write. I had an interest in writing and I had written a couple screenplays and then I had twin daughters and then a son and the time seemed to kind of fill up <laughs> and I was getting frustrated. And eventually I said, I, I'm, I had what I joke was my midlife crisis. And I said, I can't just do real estate for the rest of my life. Mm. So I started talking to some people and I convinced a small owner of a design shop to hire me. And so I started working for this design shop that did logos and websites and brochures and I loved it. And I found that it was kind of, I have a very active right and left brain and this kind of brought things together so that I could use the kind of analytical side and methodical side of the real estate and the law and then my creative side uh, from film and writing. And my goal was to help people share their message. And so that's what I got to do. I ended up, we ended up moving back to Philadelphia for a year to kind of test it out and ended up staying here. And when we decided to stay, I got a job working for a brand marketing agency that did full service marketing, but really focused on brand and what that meant. And, and I kind of drank the Kool-Aid in terms of what it means to be a brand, which is different. It's not your logo and your website. It's really kind of your reason for being um, and really what makes you different from the other people that do the same thing. Uh, Simon Sinek, who has a famous book and TED talk called start with why is kind of how I think about where you start in terms of understanding why, why do you get up every day and do what you do? And that kind of built onto what's the story, you know, what is your brand story in terms of how you create your brand in terms of the way you're going to communicate it. And I became fascinated with effective communication, which you think about all the way from, you know, whether you're being a trial lawyer or you're working in the film industry or even in real estate, when you're trying to, you know, sell a property uh, or rent a property out, um, you have to pitch and tell your story. And I started looking into the best way to do that, to kind of communicate. And I found that the best way to communicate from my perspective is clearly by telling a story. Uh, I ended up starting my own company about two and a half years later because I wanted to focus more on visual content. And that's what we do now. We do a video, graphics, animation, and we basically help people tell their story. So as you kind of referenced earlier, my mission in life is to tell and share awesome stories and to help others tell and share awesome stories. So and so important. in my kind of day job uh, and as a speaker, what I'm trying to do is help others learn the power of story and the power of visual communication. And in my kind of fascination, I started to research about the best ways to do this, the studies that have been done. And I came across this particular, what I call the science of story. And uh, there was a neuro neuroscientist named Uri Hassan, who was at the time at Princeton. He was basically interested in how our brain responded depending on what input we had. And what his experiment found out was that effective communication is really about brain chemistry and how our brains work. And the experiment he did was he had two groups of people I like to call them audiences. And one audience was given information, facts, figures, data. Uh, in the marketing space, we call them sort of the features and benefits. And then the other group was told a story. And he tracked their brain activity. 
And the group that was given the information, two parts of their brain activated, the vernix area and the Broca's area. And these two parts of your brain are what is responsible for decoding the meaning of words so that you actually understand what's being told to you. Very important. The other group that were told the narrative, their brain activity was very different. Not only did the Broca's and Vernix area activate, but so did every other part of their brain that the person would use if they were actually experiencing the story themselves. So it's kind of living vicariously through the speaker when you're being told a story. And there's an actually, he came up with a, a concept called neural coupling, which is that if I tell someone a story about me kicking a ball, the listener's motor cortex is activated. If I tell a story about you going into a bakery and smelling the amazing fresh cookies, not only mine, but your olfactory. And so you have this mirroring of the brain activity. So why is that important? Well, it's important because it connects us. And that's what it's all about, is trying to find that connection with people. Uh, from a biological perspective, there's two enzymes that elevate. You know, there's a cortisol, increase in cortisol, mm -hmm. and there's an increase in oxytocin, the stress hormone and the love hormone. Yes. And these are really important because the stress hormone makes sure that you're paying attention. And I believe we're all suffering from short attention spans. So when you tell a story, people immediately are paying more attention. Their brain's saying, hey, listen to what this person is saying. And then the oxytocin is that emotional connection that a lot of people talk about that you're trying to get at. And because stories have a way of connecting with people that on that level, the result is that you're much more likely when you tell a story to have someone understand what you're talking about and remember it. So from a marketing perspective, if you're trying to get, share your message and you want people to understand what it is you do and you want them to remember you, story is the answer. And so my belief is that what we try and do is help people to A, understand the why it's so important to tell stories because we're hardwired. The science is the evidence that if you want to communicate and connect with people, you tell a story. That's just the science behind it. And then we talk about the kind of how you do it and, and sort of that's where we've developed some tips and shortcuts for how to structure your story. Thank you. Uh, take a what breath. A story, well-deserved breath. Absolutely. What a story. It's, it's incredible. And it sounds like you just went for it and you just took opportunities. So for me, the biggest question when I listen to your story again and again and again is actually, how did you know in those moments that this was the right step to take in this period of time? Well, there's two parts to it. And the first part is intention. And the second part is what I'll call smart luck. And I'll, I'll define that in a second. There's a quote that I love from John Lennon, which is life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. Mm, yeah. So I think there's an element of not knowing, you know, here you, you decide you're going to do this and you play a course and then something derails you and you go a different direction. I never anticipated I would marry someone from a different country or that I would live in a different country. So certain things uh, you can't control. But I do think that there's elements of what I call smart luck and intentionality. Smart luck I describe as the difference between it, dumb luck. So what is dumb luck? Dumb luck is when you're walking down the street and you see, you know, $5 or five pounds since you know, you're in England and you pick it up and you put it in your pocket, you got lucky. There was just money there. Smart luck is you want to be an actor? Well, why don't you take some acting classes? Why don't you study a little bit? Why don't you start to try and meet people who are, and you put yourself in a position to be successful. 
I think there's a quote about, you know, chance favors the prepared. So for me, I had intentions. You know, it took me a while to get to where I wanted to go. So I think there's a part of it about being patient. But I had the intention, which is, and I started to uh, manifest that in my language when I spoke to people. Because I haven't written this book, and one day I, I, it'll call, it'll call the naysayer's antidote. Throughout life, you are always going to find the naysayers, the people who say can't. And I remember when I started to tell people, oh, I'm, I'm going to work in the film industry. And I had no connections and no experience there. And a lot of people would say, oh, how are you going to do that? That's really hard. And my response would just be to have conviction and say, well, I'm going to do it. And to have that intention about how you're going to do it makes a big difference. So it's a mindset mm. in terms of not letting the negativity of others derail you from your goal. Yeah. The other thing is that you have a plan. And, and I've been pretty good as a planner. And it's a little cliche, but you know, either um, fail to plan, plan to fail. So there's a balance between you know, taking action and planning before you take that action. And you need both. You can't be a planner your whole life and never do action. And I don't think you can be impulsive and act all the time and expect everything to go swimmingly. I believe in something called imperfect action, which is it's a lot of people wait around for that perfect moment, the perfect person, the perfect job. That's an illusion. And a lot of people get stuck. Mm. And I think don't succeed at what they're trying because they're waiting for that the alignment of the of you know the the planets before they're going to do yeah, something so true and i think you got to just go for it sometimes and it's going to be messy sometimes and it's not going to work out sometimes and it's how you deal with that messiness in terms of picking yourself up and taking what you can from that experience because i think the thing is that experience is what matters good bad and ugly experience it all helps you develop who you are and for me to have gotten through that pathway, different countries, different industries, is because I'm able to take something from that, learn from that, and then continue on. Uh, in terms of reinventing myself, I want to reference Adam Markell, uh, who I did a program with. He wrote a book called Pivot, The Art of Reinventing Yourself. Um, and he helps people who have passions to do things. And yeah, I've been successful, but it's in pivoting, because I, I was intentional and I just maybe um, stubborn might even be, um, but it's a combination of that intentionality. So I had an idea about the film industry. How was I going to get a job? Well, I was going to start to find out who knew people, take down that information. You got to, you know, got to be okay with rejection and being able to continue to strive for your goals. Yeah. I love what you say about the intention in particular. I think if you have, have a goal and intention that you can really visualize, you feel it, you sense it, it's literally in your DNA. The way you get there doesn't almost matter. It's all about getting there. And as you just so amazingly mentioned, gathering the experience along the way. What's the worst thing that can happen, right? But what's the best thing that you can experience and that you can learn from it? And I think, I think it does shape the person we are. It does shape the way we go and how we go about it. And it puts us into those wonderfully surprising moments that suddenly happen, right? And that kind of change our lives forever. Let it be. You meet the love of your life or whatever it is. That is just the beauty of it. And one thing you mentioned now I want to highlight again is this sense of perfection. You will probably never start 
if you wait for the perfect moment, if you wait for the perfect deal, especially not in nowadays times. So it's really important to say, you know, better start than going for perfection. I think a lot of this all comes down to building, nurturing, and developing relationships. And we talk about the power of story. One of the goals of story is to be relatable. And so when you build these relationships, you get, you know, the, the Dale Carnegie, you want to work with people who you know, like, and trust. Um, well, how do you get to that stage? By putting in the time, by being genuine, um, by being interested. I was referenced, there was a networking study done where people in networking events were done sort of exit strategies. And there was people who had been asked a lot of questions and they would say about the person, they would exit the interview and say, what did you think about that person who had asked all those questions? And they said, oh, they were really interesting. And they hadn't said anything about themselves. They'd just been curious and interested. Yeah. So I say the goal is to be interested, not interesting, which is a challenge for me because I like to talk a lot. <laughs> I didn't notice yeah. in any of our conversations, but I think you have to, that's your job, right? You have to be interesting to others, share your stories, talk. You know, when I work with clients, a lot, a lot of my talking is listening and asking the talking I do often is asking questions mm. uh, because I think that's how you reveal what's important to someone. And it's for me, it is a balance because people will you know, come to me for my expertise and want to know how I can help them. And the reality is I often listen first and then respond when I'm focused on trying to help someone deeply because in terms of story, and I'll, I'll share one of the elements that I think I talk about the ABCs of, of story telling effective stories. And the A is for kn knowing your audience. I teach at a university here and I developed something called the 11th commandment. The 11th commandment is know thy audience. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about being effective in your communication and being effective in telling a story, if you're not aware of your audience, you've lost, you know, you, you know, because the goal is to connect that message to the audience. And if you don't understand the audience as best you can, you're not going to be effective. And yet what I'm observing in particular in organizations that I support is that we use the same PowerPoint template. We applied it to a, I say in quotation marks, storytelling session mm -hmm. and share the same PowerPoint presentation. I'm not even talking about storytelling here with different audiences. One of the key messages I share with some of the leaders I'm working with is be curious, ask loads of questions, go back into your childhood when you asked a lot of questions, why and what is that? And so on and so forth. Why not doing that with adults, right? It engages them. But then as soon as we're on stage, it stops. What is it you are observing in that space? Well, what is it um, that you are noticing when it comes to leaders as entrepreneurs you are working with and supporting with in organizations that stops them from really diving into this pure storytelling? Well, I think it's a fear of, of not getting the information across. Mm. So people are worried they're going to miss something or that they're not going to get those bullet points that are, they've been kind of ingrained to think these are the important, you know, here are the things that are important that I need to share. And therefore you're doing it kind of as by rote. And I think that in business, that's how we we've learned to share information, yeah. you know, and as you, I love the, you know, the, the kind of curiosity of young kids um, and asking lots of questions. 
and kids love to tell stories. Mm. And I think that's, you know, one of the things I say is, you know, telling stories, we, we're, and we're pretty good at it even personally. You know, we're at a cocktail party or, we're, you know, um, we tell stories and we listen to stories. But when we get into the boardroom, as it were, uh, in the corporate environment, we seem to forget all of that and start to get to, yeah, what often is referred to as death by PowerPoint. Yeah, exactly. um, I'll tell you one example because I share that certain organizations have embraced story to kind of a big degree and 3M, which is a huge corporation that makes a lot of office supplies. They, a number of years ago, banned bullets in any of their presentations for their executives. And they started to teach people what they call corporate narratives. And the idea that you can craft a story around those data points, around those elements that will bring them to life in a way that will connect with people. Mm -hmm. Because again, the way we are wired in our brains, it'll help us remember and it'll help us connect with them on a different level. And it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, that's one of the things, I think one of the reasons people don't do the things that would be more helpful is because they're hard and because they're, they're not, they don't have proficiency because they haven't practiced doing it. So it's about, learning some ways to start um, and having imperfect action. I think that's, you know, the, the, the reason they're not starting is because they can't, they haven't mastered it. And so they don't yeah. want to try it because they're worried of, of falling flat on their face. Although I love that there's a quote, I, which is even if you fall flat on your face, you're still moving forward. So, so true. <laughs> um, and, and you have to, you know, we learn the most by making mistakes, Yeah. but we're so afraid of making a mistake. And I, and it kind of paralyzes us. What a brilliant quote is that. I'm so going yeah, to steal mine. It's not mine. So, uh, <laughs> I don't remember who, who said it, but it was, yeah. Um, I give you an example. I worked with someone the other day and she said to me, I'm in this leadership role. I come across quite young, despite the fact that I'm in my forties now and I'm one of the only women in mm. this uh, leadership space. What I want to do is engage people more, influence them more, and be, become visible as one of the top leaders here. And obviously, we talked about how she defines top leadership and engagement and all of these kind of things. But it came back to the storytelling, to communication, to engagement. And what we were focusing on is know thy audience. But what are other questions leaders in positions like these entrepreneurs can ask themselves to get started and to think deeper about their story. Well, I'll share with you a tool we developed in terms of the structure of that story, because mm. I think this is a really helpful way to keep things simple. Yeah. And so I've come up with something that I call the story pad, P-A-D. Because every story, if you go back to the foundations of kind of narrative, Aristotle in 350 BC had come up with the, the, the three act structure, beginning, middle, and end. And if you look at, you know, popular movies and literature and, you know, that's, we want it. We want a, a beginning, middle and end to the stories that we're being told. But once you've gotten, okay, great, I need a beginning, middle and end. Well, but what should I put in the beginning? What should I put in the middle? What should I put in the end? So that's why we created this, the story pad, the PAD represent the beginning, the middle and the end. Mm -hmm. And so the P stands for the problem or the pain of your audience. So whether it's external or internal, if you're a leader in an organization, you want to think about what are the challenges that my people I'm managing are having. And so when you start to communicate with them, you want to start with that. I know you're all having problems with the front line, or I know you're all having problems, 
you know, understanding the best way forward or to implement this new software or this new process, whatever their challenges are, you want to start there. The A is the answer or the solution to that problem. So, okay, you know, I know you're having challenges with this you know, piece of software or this process. Uh, here's how I can help you with it if you follow these set of guidelines. And then the D, which a lot of people stop at that A, they kind of say, here's the problem, here's the solution. But to really, I think, synthesize the story most effectively, you need the D. And the D stands for the difference that it will make to that audience. What's the impact? Because if you don't have a, a compelling D for the difference it'll make, they won't buy into the answer. Um, and we use this you know, a lot in terms of the videos and the animations we create. We tell a very simple story and you, you'll see them in advertising. Advertisers are pretty good about telling that story. And I'll use a, a silly example. Oh, you have a stain on your shirt. <laughs> you know, Buy our product and we'll get that stain out. And what's the difference is you'll have wonderfully clean, happy children prancing around to go get dirty again. Lovely. <laughs> I think that's one of the things is the stories don't need to be exact. Using metaphor and analogies is really effective. I, I have a podcast and I interviewed a doctor who's working in nanotechnology to cure cancer at the Mayo Clinic and Dr. Wolfram. And she did a TED Talk. And what was fascinating about how she... You know, she's dealing with very technical things. And so how are you going to tell a story to someone who doesn't know about the intricacies of nanoparticles, mm -hmm. which I don't. And so she made an analogy in her story. She talks about, you know, that the, the drugs that are fighting cancer are kind of like firefighters, but they don't have any transportation or they don't need tools. And the nanoparticles is like a little fire truck. And so the little, you know, cancer drugs get on the fire truck and get to the tumor that they need. So she's been able to tell a story in a medical scientific context yeah. because people will understand it. And I think sometimes that's one way we can try and do it is think about, okay, what's a metaphor that will make sense to people that everyone can relate to? Because everyone knows about fire trucks and fire people and putting out fires. Um, and so sometimes I think we, we get in our own way mm -hmm. by being stuck on the fact that we have to say it in a certain way. Um, and we have to use certain language. And I think if you can find ways to use the power of story from a metaphor perspective, it can be really powerful. Yeah, I uh, absolutely adore that, what you just said in the examples, just brilliant. But two, two thoughts came actually to my mind. The first one is, I think we have unlearned to simplify our words and to simplify things and we make them overcomplicated and there might be different reasons for it. One of them, and, and actually I have quite a few people who admit to that, is our ego. We want to sound intelligent. We want to sound like we know more instead of, you know, thinking about who are we talking to and let's make it as accessible as possible. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. We, we overcomplicate everything. Yeah. And despite the fact that a lot of trainers and lots of different fields talk about the KISS principle, which I just heard a, a version of it, which is keep it simple, sweetie. You know, oh. I haven't heard that before. Uh, yes, I, I just, uh, someone, yeah, that was a nicer way than saying the, the usual. And then there was a quote from, I love quotations, and there was one that they're talking about writing, and they said, keep it as simple as possible, but no simpler. The, the ego part, I think, is something that people, it's insecurity as much as it is ego. So why are we using flowery language when simple language will work? Because we don't feel great about who we are, and maybe we want to find a way to sound more intelligent. You know, I like the example, um, a lot of people say, when they're talking to experts, tell it to me like I'm an eight-year-old. If an, a, a kid can understand what you're talking about, then I'll, I'll clearly, as a grown-up, 
Um, and I think we could all benefit from having a little more simplicity. I love the book, you know, everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten, you know, to share and to play. And we forget about the simpl- what simplicity can do. Yeah. And in terms of effective communication, the simpler, the better. Agreed. Agreed. That makes me think of uh, something you've shared with me before. I asked you, what is one of your biggest flaw that became your biggest strength? And you said my enthusiasm. Yes. Enthusiasm is, is a kind of double-edged sword because for two reasons. One, those that are repressed in some way hmm. and for lots of different reasons can be turned off by enthusiasm because if they don't have it, it's a struggle for them to, you know, they may be jealous or they may, and I think what you find, you know, just like a a smile is contagious. I think enthusiasm generally breaks through. And the way I think enthusiasm can do that is if, and only if it's genuine. Um, And I think, you know, one of the, the, the the B of the ABC of telling a story is be authentic. And, you know, we have the radar for BS is higher than it's ever been. And I think so if you have enthusiasm and I have, you know, I think enthusiasm for life, you can look at any opportunity and listen, I'm not happy all the time. No one is, but I think it's a mindset about trying to approach whatever it is you're doing and recognizing problems are going to come up and how can we get over those problems? I also, I tell my kids this sometimes, which is, you know, there's enough negativity in the world. Why don't you try and be a positive contribution? Yeah. I've been an enthusiastic person from when I was a little kid and that active inner child is definitely, um, and I love that about, you know, children, the unbridled enthusiasm for life. And I said, why, why don't we have more of that? So I try in my own way to try and infuse it whenever I can. You know, I joked when I was starting my company, I said, I want one of the core elements to be fun. And it was my friend who said this to me. He said, that's great. Uh, And actually my friend, Mike in England, he said, you are fun. But, you know, people may not respond to just wanting to have fun all the time. And he says, what I think about you, I think, is that you have a lot of enthusiasm. And so I really hooked on to that and, and thought it was a good way of being. And so the joke is that I am the CEO, but it stands for the chief enthusiasm officer. All right. That works so well for you. <laughs> I, I, I try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then also you attract the people that you want to attract, right? So if you are an enthusiastic guy and that's what you want to share and you want to have this fun, enjoyable environment around you where you can be playful as well and you express that, well, those people will hopefully, I'm sure they do, come to you, right? Yeah, I think there's, there's two parts to that. One of it is that, you know, one of the things about my, the way I, I kind of describe my enthusiasm to people um, that has been told to me by people close to me, which is I take what I do very seriously. So I don't want people to think that when I'm working, I'm just goofing off all the time because mm. my goal in terms of helping my clients and helping my audience when I'm speaking to people is very serious in terms of my desire to want to help. But I don't take myself that seriously. And I think that's the approach that I take. When we're working on something, I'm going to work super hard to try and get the results we want. But why can't we have some you know, levity along the way? In terms of that kind of laws of attraction, I don't know if I necessarily attract other people with enthusiasm. My because a lot of times I'll work with people who I break through some of that. So I've had, you know, clients tell me I'm a lot of fun to work with. And that's the best compliment someone can give me. Because I think in life, in work in particular, we're not having that much fun. You know, in America, they've done studies about, you know, we have more people actively disengaged in their work 
than engaged. And so I want to do my small part in trying to engage those people. Mm. And that's kind of, I see my role, you know, one of my you know, roles as a leader is to help teach people or embrace that lighter side of life. But there's something I wanted to mention, which is um, a guy named Michael Heppel, who's British. He's written a bunch of books, amazing guy, but in one of his books called Flip It, he's known for a book, How to Be Brilliant, which is, uh, I recommend. Uh, but in Flip It, he has something called the relationship grid. It's about putting everyone in your life on this axis. And on one axis, it's negative to positive, one to 10. And then the other axis is a giver or a taker. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I know so this one. You can plot people on them. And so the idea is that in terms of the who you surround yourself with, you want to find those people that are contributing positively to your life. And you want to try and minimize those people, the sappers as he talks about mm-hmm. them, who are, you know, the naysayers. That's my word for it, is the naysayers. Oh, you can't do that. And they just kind of bring you down. So I think one of the ways to be a successful leader is to try and surround yourself, you know, with other people like-minded who not only, but not yes men, people who compliment you. And I think if you look at organizations that are really successful and you look at their leaders, the most successful ones have done that. They've gotten people who compliment their skill set, who end up contributing positively, but at the same time have the same overall mission and, and an approach and culture to the way that they, they look at business. You know, you are the sum of the people you spend the most time with. That's kind of the element of the relationship grid. And then the second part of it is, is the no jerk policy. So tell me about that (laughs) or or the no, I, you know, I'm trying to keep this, you know, PG, which is uh, the no a-hole policy is the other way that people will talk about it. And it's both internally, but, but, but from a client perspective, you have to have strong conviction and policy about not working with jerks. When I, when I talk to potential clients, and I kind of give them the pitch of, you know, what we can do and how we can help them. I, I usually say it's important to me as well as it is them that we're a good fit. Because if you end up, you know, engaging with someone professionally, that's not a good fit, it's not going to go well. And so I try really hard to work, as you said, not just attract people, but seek out clients of people that, oh, this is a great person, you know, and, and it has that knock on effect when you surround yourself with good people, then you get introduced to other good people. Um, I and agree. Kind of the, so it's about that kind of professional community that you build. Uh, and I've been fortunate that I've found other uh, enthusiastic professionals uh, across lots of different that I, I get to work with. And then you can create some new fantastic stories together. Fantastic, fantastic insights and and learnings that I'm taking away for sure here from this conversation. I do have two more questions for you. And the the first one of those is, what's next on your radar? Keep telling great stories and keep helping others tell great stories. It's that's a constant. Uh, I just launched third season of my podcast, Connect the Dots with All Women. Having you know teenage daughters, uh, I love to sharing the success of others and share those stories of success. In terms of work, I continue to look for companies where I can help them tell visual stories in a compelling way to connect with their audience and looking for opportunities to share my message with others, whether it's, you know, virtual keynotes and things like that. But for me, it's about continuing to be doing what I love. I mean, I love what I do and I'm, I'm blessed that I get to do it, but I think it's about helping others sharing one-to-one, you know, individually how you can impact others how you can influence others in a positive way to help them get to where they want to go 
you know, that, that service, you know, my father was a civil servant, my grandfather was a civil servant. I think even though I work in the, in the profit sector, as it were, I think we all have opportunities to give back. And that is important to me to continue to share what I believe is important and what can help. So you clearly know your why, that's for sure. And Joffrey, where can people find you? The easiest two places are the two websites. So I have a, a speaker website, ggkline.com, which is jeffreykline.com, uh, or that's my, my initials. And then Nine Dots Media is my company where we content producers. Uh, NineDotsMedia.com is the website. And Nine Dots Media and Gigi Klein are the two social handles. So on most of the platforms, if you put in those, but if you go to the websites, they have all the links to the different social and then LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn fan. I think it's really powerful. Um, and I encourage people to, you know, to reach out. I'm always open to engaging in a conversation with someone to see if I can help. Fantastic. And I would highly recommend he's the expert. Reach out, have a chat with him, see as to whether uh, he and his team, you know, can support you building your stories and sharing your stories as well. So uh, have a think about that. Connect with Joffrey anytime. We are going to share, obviously, your details, contact details, and so on and so forth in the show notes as well. It's been a tremendous pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. And to all of you guys out there, I am pretty sure you enjoyed the episode as well. So do share with us what you have been taking away, what you have learned, what you want to put into place. But also if you have any questions about your personal storytelling approach, then do let us know. And we are more than happy to discuss it with you to support you on your own personal storytelling journey. And take good care of yourselves. And I speak to you again next week. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Legendary Leaders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show, either on iTunes, Spotify, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com, so that you can hear more about our next episodes. I would also love to hear from you. To discover what topics you'd like to listen to on this podcast, please head over to kathleenmerkel.com forward slash podcast and let me know. You can also find me on Facebook in the Legendary Leaders Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to connecting with you again on our next episode of the Legendary Leaders Podcast. Take care. Bye.